accepted your son, but my soul feels so empty now, what have I become? Lord, come with your fire, burn my desires inside me, Lord, my will has deceived me, please come free me. see when I only look at me 
Jesus is Lord. That single belief calls us together as a community and sends us into our world with hope and purpose. At our church, your past will never define your future. There's always redemption, which means there's always a brighter day. At our church, we don't think we're better than any other church out there. We're just doing our best to become our best. At our church, we want you to believe in God, but we also want you to know that God believes in you. We are not against people who don't attend church anywhere. Instead, we pursue them with love, the very same love that's pursuing us. At our church, we're learning to serve God with all our hearts, and we're learning to worship Him with all our lives. And if you're looking for the perfect church, we're not it. At our church, we will make mistakes, but we will choose to grow from them. At our church, we're part of a global community that's knit together by the resurrection of Jesus. And by the way, at our church, we believe that really happened too. At our church, we will engage with people who are in real need because we are the hands and the feet of Christ. And finally, we need you to hear this loud and clear. At our church, it's not really our church at all. It's His. And we live and move and breathe in His church for His glory and His fame, not ours. So here's the invitation. You're invited to jump in with your whole heart at your own pace and to experience the life that awaits you in Christ. Friends, this is going to be good. Welcome to our church. Good morning. Let's all stand and begin praising and worshiping Jesus this morning. Great. 
should know this one. Hold your heart, it stirs your soul, matters come to mind.
you have a good week? Good. I'm glad to hear so many yeses. Say hi to your neighbor. You can elbow. That'll work. <laughs> hi, elbow. Hi, elbow. <laughs> That didn't last very long. Didn't last too long, huh? Hard to talk in those masks, isn't it? Oh, isn't it good to be together, to worship Jesus together, to come and stand in his presence? We were just talking as a worship team in the back, and we just all kind of had some, just some crazy things happening, swirling around in our mornings. Anybody else have a morning like that? Just kind of felt a little crazy, and we just kind of checked it all in. We just checked it in at the door before we walked out onto the platform. We said, you know what, Lord? We're leaving this here. And we're going to come out and we're going to enjoy you because you're what this is all about. We didn't come here for you to give us stuff, although he does so graciously. But we came here to give you us and to give you our hearts and to give you the stuff from the week and to just check it in and to sit at your feet for this little time that we have together and understand that these wounded warriors have come into this place, into this uh, mash unit, and we're getting filled back up because we're going to go back out onto that field real soon. And we need you. We need you here, Jesus. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we welcome you here. Holy Spirit, we want you here. We ask you to be here with us. We ask you to take all this stuff, take the wounds and start healing them. And Lord, we just ask you to come into this place and touch each individual person very personally so they know you're holding them. Lord, we're going to give you an offering now. We thank you for just how you meet us. And we want you to feel welcome here. And we want you to permeate this place. We want you to ooze out the doors. And we love you and we thank you for meeting us, Lord.
Everybody say God is good. 
God is good. He is good all the time. Just breathing him in. It's just a whole different part of your day. You just inhale him and just enjoy him. All my life. 
can sit down if you need to. This next song that we're going to do is several years old. We've, we've done it. And it's been on the radio. Everybody will be familiar with it. Uh, this week as I, as I started really kind of going over everything and reviewing the words, uh, the song is called Reckless Love. You guys know that song, right? Most of you probably have heard it at least. And I just... Um, started really paying attention to what that meant. And God is just so amazing at how he loves us. And when we really start reading into his word and start digging into his stories and, and things that we are allowed to look back on for encouragement, um, I, just, I just decided to look up the word reckless. I wanted to know what that meant. And uh, when I looked it up, uh, it meant danger. And... Uh, and then it also meant, in, in German, it meant care, which I thought was interesting. And so as I dug in a little bit deeper, I started thinking about it. And the prodigal son, everybody pretty much knows that story, the prodigal son, and how that son left and pretty much dumped on his family and his dad especially. Really left him hurting. And when he came back, his dad loved him recklessly, lavishly. That's how he was loved. Jesus gave us other examples of that. He picked a tax collector to be a disciple. Those people were not loved and probably really still aren't a whole lot. Um, he picked a shepherd to be the first hospital visitor when he was born who was considered the lowest of low. That was a dangerous decision to have them come first to see the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But it was lavish that he loved us and brought his son that way. The way Jesus died was lavished on us. So as I started singing and just kind of reviewing the song and practicing and, and understanding that that goes hand in hand, reckless, and he will do anything to get to want to be loved like that. Be reckless with me, Jesus. Love me so much that you'll do whatever it takes to get to me. I cry a lot, <laughs> but it's because it's so powerful that he loves us that way. And it's an honor to be picked by him and that we get to love him back. So are you loving him recklessly? Are you lavishing your love on him? I encourage you to do that. So we're going to sing this song. And just think about how he loved us that way.
reckless love over us, Lord. I pray, Jesus, now that you will be with Pastor Matt as he brings your word. Lord, protect him as he opens your sword. Deliver it to our hearts, Jesus, and pierce it. Lord, remove the stuff out of there that you want out. Get it out of us. Purge it out, even if it hurts a little. And then plant yourself in there and transform us to be like you. We love you, Lord. Give Pastor Matt a special anointing this morning, Jesus. In your name, amen. Imagine this bucket of water is your financial situation. Each one of us will face different choices concerning our finances throughout our lives. Some of us may be struggling to keep our heads above water as we face debt at every turn. Others may be right on the line with no margin for error. And still others may have even managed to put some money into savings. Oftentimes we allow these financial situations to order our giving for us. We give when we have plenty and hold back when times are tough. The book of Proverbs gives us a powerful truth when we view our giving based upon our bank statements. Proverbs 11.24 says that if we withhold what we should give, we will only suffer more want. Our first inclination when we hear this is to say that it cannot be true. That if we hang on to all our money, we will have that much more money to pay our bills. But the Bible doesn't concede this point. In fact, it tells us that only when we give freely, not hoarding our money, will we grow richer. By giving, we will end up with plenty, and if we try and keep it all, we end up not having what we need. What a paradox, and what a powerful motivation to give at the same time. Do you trust this promise? Do you believe that God rewards those who give in any circumstance? This is the one area where God tells us to test Him, and it's the one area very few of us actually do. We test His mercy as we run off like the prodigal son, only to find that He welcomes us back with open arms when we repent. And we are willing to test His patience with our habitual sins, again to find that He is slow to anger. So why not test His generosity and see if He does not fulfill our every need just as He promises? Amen. Well, it's good to see you this morning, church. I'm going to ask you today, have you been blessed by God in your life in any way? Yes, you have. I've seen, I see your faces. I see your nodding. Yes, we have all been blessed by God. It is our privilege to be able to give of our tithes and our offerings and our resources. And I thank you for the time that you give and the things you do that nobody sees behind the scenes, the prayers that you lift up. But today, one of our acts of worship, though it's a little different than it normally is when we might pass the plate, uh, but it's still our act of worship to say, God, we trust you with everything that we have, right down to our last penny. Amen. It is good to give back to the Lord. So today, I want to just start with a word of prayer, asking the Spirit to just come enter in this, this morning, as well as asking Him to bless the tithes and offerings that you'll be giving as you go, and there's some plates back there, and, and, uh, and we are thankful that we have the opportunity to support a ministry where Jesus comes first. So together, let's join in. Lord, today we thank you for this time. We thank you, God, for your love and for your grace for your goodness, for your strength that you give us, for the courage that you give us day to day. And Lord, we thank you for our resources that are tangible and those things that are even intangible. And as we give of our tithes and offerings, it's just our way of saying, 
of saying, God, you are Lord of everything in our life, right down to the last penny. God, it is our privilege. We are so thankful that we have the opportunity to serve you today. So this morning, we ask that your Holy Spirit would just enter in to this time of worship as we give and as we open our hearts to you, Lord. We ask that your Spirit will be presiding in all that we do and say. And together we say, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this morning, uh, I want to start with a video that'll set the tone. Let's watch this together. idea of today's sermon, if I had to just bring it down into just one sum sentence, it would be this, that our God can restore what the enemy has taken. And it begins right here with you and I being a missional church, being missional in the way that we live, being missional in the way that we conduct ourselves as we move through our life day by day, week by week. Our God can restore what the enemy has taken. I don't have to tell you today that the church in America has been struggling significantly. In the last 10 years, the Colorado Church of the Nazarene, our district, uh, our worship attendance, attendance has gone down 34% in 10 years. Our discipleship attendance has gone down 39% in just 10 years. 
I wish I could say this is an anomaly, that it's just our district, that it's just happening in the church of the Nazarene or, or in, in, the, in this, this area of the world, but it is not. Its fact is, is it's, it's all denominations and non-denominations across America. One individual actually told me this week that the United States is actually now the third largest mission field behind China and India. Imagine that, if you would. I know you're thinking, well, why are you starting off this way? I just want you to get an understanding of why we exist, what we are called to do, why it's so important. It's so important because one in four Americans say that they are done with church. And half of all Americans, 48% exactly, are done with God. Known as post-Christians, they say that God plays no role whatsoever in their life. Only one in four Americans is a practicing Christian. Of those, 32% say they still attend out of obligation. 70% of those attending church one or more times a month never share their faith with a stranger. And 51% of U.S. churchgoers say they've never heard the term Great Commission. Every mainline and evangelical denomination is currently in decline. And even more startling is when you look at this generation that is rising up. Kennedy, would you just, I knew, I'm going to put you on the spot. Will you come here for just a second? She didn't know I was going to do this. <laughs> but of this generation, Generation Z, born 1996 and later, 38% say that they don't believe in a God. They're atheists already. 38%. By the time that this generation comes to power and influence, maybe in their 40s, 50s, it is now considered, based on previous trends, that only 8 to 12% of her generation will be practicing Christians. Think about that for a moment. If that doesn't, thank you, if that doesn't give you pause, if that doesn't in some way begin to shock you, to think, you know what, that once there's a couple generations that are in here are gone, the church is going to look vastly different if things don't change. If that doesn't shock us, I don't know what does. Amen? That's not acceptable. That shouldn't happen. How did this happen in the 70s and 80s? Anyone alive during those times? Remember the 70s and 80s? Some of you are like, just barely. (laughs) Man, I I remember when I was a kid, the church just seemed vibrant. It seemed like we were doing things that seemed alive. And and I saw churches growing. And what, what changed? What changed? Somewhere along the line, it has been said that we forgot who we were and why we exist. Have we somehow forgotten the majesty and the sovereignty of the God that we serve? Isaiah 40, 28. If you look in your Bibles or on your phones or wherever you want to look at the screen and read with me, it says there, Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, 
the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power to the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. That's good news for us. Because when we renew our hope in the Lord, we will soar on wings like eagles, and we will run and not grow weary. We will walk and not grow faint. I'm crazy. You might just say, you can just stop there, Pastor. Yes, you are. (laughs) I'll take that as a compliment. I am. I'm crazy enough to believe and to hope that the God we serve is big enough to help restore the things that the enemy has taken. I'm tired of him taking and taking and the church not standing up and believing in these words that were prophesied so many years ago that said, you know what, if you believe in God, have you not heard? Do you, do you, do you not know? I mean, here's the thing, is if we believe, I mean really believe in God, then we believe that he's the one who holds the keys to death and to life. In his hands. Amen? I mean, this is, this is not some puny, weak God. This isn't some symbol that we just place on top of our little you know, table and we say, oh, well, look, it's not our God, it's great. No, this God is too big to be contained. I mean, just let those words sink in. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Yeah, you can call me crazy. I'm crazy enough to hope and believe that the God we serve can reverse the trends, that the God we serve can restore the church, that the God we serve can redeem the prodigals, that the God we serve, can rescue the helpless. He can reclaim our country. He can rekindle the lukewarm and revive every generation and restore what the enemy has taken. I tell you, I look around me and I see desolation. I look in our political arena. I see desolation. I look in our families. I see desolation. I see children and kids and grandkids and grandparents who are just living as if there is no God. But let me remind you, you and I are called to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. I've been called foolish for feeling that this can turn around. I don't care. I don't care. Call me foolish. 
I've been called foolish for saying, you know what, the God that we serve, I, I, some people say, I just think he's just letting us go the way that we want to go. And you know what? We do have free will. He cannot, he will not just tear down the walls of our heart and break in and say, I'm taking you whether you want me or not. You have a choice in the midst of it. But I believe that our God that we serve, who brought about revivals a hundred years plus before, who has been doing great things to the church throughout all history, can do it again. I'll move from one coast to the other coast. I'll live in a camper. I'll sell what I own. I'll follow God anywhere because I'm sold out to the mission that if we love God and if we love one another and if we make disciples, we will see God change this world. You and I are proof of this. You and I are proof that God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. You have been chosen. They say, well, you know what, here we are, we're just a small church in the middle of the mountains of Colorado. I mean, what difference can we make? I'm telling you, look around. There's over 100 people here, easy. And let me tell you something, Jesus started with 12. If he could do it through 12, he can do it through us. But I'm aware, I'm a realist, I'm aware that we live in a spiritual wasteland. In my last, excuse me, in my first ministerial alliance meeting in my last assignment i walked that day to a church and it took me a little while to find it i was new in town and and as i'm walking into the church i'm passing actually a crew of people who are pouring a cement parking lot because this church had just been finished it was a beautiful new united methodist church i walk in in the midst of that building, and there were stained glass images. It was one of those, you know, just kind of well, those with some powerful, powerful symbols representing the power of God, showing the stories of spirit-filled men and women who God had used to completely change societies and generations. And I walked in in awe of just the beauty of this place. As I walked past that area, there was a group of pastors, a room full of pastors who were, who were in the middle of talking. I was a couple minutes late, and so I just sat at the end of this long table. And as I sat there, I was listening to the words that they were saying, and here's what things were, were going. They were lamenting the direction of their churches. Every pastor in the room. And I kept hearing this words. I, we're just going to go the way of, and they mentioned this name, we're going to go away of this. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. Well, it ended up being a town where just everything, all the, all the churches died in that town. And I could literally feel an oppressive heaviness as I entered that room. The first words that I remembered specifically were not welcome or Hey, please introduce yourself. It was this. Yeah, my church is going to be closed in 10 to 15 years. Not one, but every pastor in that group, except for the Catholic priest, agreed their church would probably close within 10 
to 15 years. I sat there, and I will tell you, uh, the first thought I had was probably not the most spiritual thought. I thought, what in the world am I doing here? <laughs> what? Why, why, why? I didn't come here to just talk about how bad things are and we just can't get around it and it's going to be over before too long. I, oh my goodness, I thought I was coming here to get you know, a little bit of you know, camaraderie and hey, let's, let's help each other through this. But they described large flourishing churches just 20 or 30 years before that it now had turned into this virtual wasteland and the only noteworthy things about the churches were, how, were the stories about how they complained about their pastors and how they complained about each other <laughs> the bright spot in the meaning three pastors said well at least i'm younger than the average age in the church so i will be able to retire in a few years before the church dies i kid you not in less than three years from that meeting a church was closed one church did close in less than three years, one church building was actually sold and converted into a house. A new church building was built, but the congregation of around 30 people could not get along through the process. So they, they, they thought, man, if we just build this building, it's going to attract a younger generation. And in the midst of it all, they began to fight. And they had a church split about a month before the grand opening. Oh, my. Two months after they opened, the pastor just left, became a teacher in a different state. In my last Ministerial Alliance meeting, before I left, one of the pastors made it to retirement. He said, yes, you made it. Oh, isn't that good? You, you finally got out of this mess. The other two were close behind him, and they're like, we can't wait till we're there with you two. They said, we think our churches now have about 10 years. I'm not talking about small churches. I'm talking about a strong Lutheran church, a strong United Methodist church, a strong Christian church. How did this happen? In our town, there was one church that was growing, and I was blessed enough to be the pastor there. And I'm not taking any credit for the growth of that church. I give all that credit to the Lord. But they would quiz me at times about our previous year of growth. And, and one pastor said to me, I think the difference between our church and your church is that we don't know why we exist anymore. Your church does. So those churches today, right now, are just holding on to each other, even though they don't really even like each other all that much. They hold on to their memories as they draw closer to their final breath. But I want you to know, church, that I believe, recklessly even, as the song said, that our God can restore what the enemy has taken. So I want you to come and take a ride with me this morning. We're going to go on a ride with God, with a man named Ezekiel. And, uh, and it's not up front there, but we're going to read through this together. 
It says the hand of the Lord in Ezekiel chapter 31, at 37, thank you, verse 1. It says the hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out of the Spirit, out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. Now just imagine with me right now, I mean, here's Ezekiel and he's in the midst of, number one, I want you to know Ezekiel's a prophet who has been called to deal with a, a group of people, a, a nation, a country, a, a people of God who had completely lost their sense of why they had existed. They forgot their God. And God's like, hey, Ezekiel, let's go take a field trip. And the hand of God, it says, came on and brought him to the Spirit, bowed by the Spirit of the Lord, and set him in the middle of a valley, it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. You might want to underline those words or highlight it in your tablet or on your phone. Very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come on you and cover you with skin. I will breathe in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So Ezekiel prophesied as he was commanded. And as he says, as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and the tendons and the flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. And then God said to Ezekiel, it says, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath prophesy son of man and say to it this is what the sovereign lord says come breathe from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live so i prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them they came to life and stood up on their feet a vast army I tell you what, I look at this story and I think, what an amazing story. And what an amazing God. And some people say, well, you know what, I just think that that's metaphorical. I don't know that that really happened. Then I don't know the God that you serve, but the God that I serve can do this. How did this happen? How did these people end up just dry, dusty bones? Now, I hope you were listening as I was reading because these guys who were there in that valley, they weren't wimps, they weren't cowards. These were the bones of warriors, an army, a mighty army with swords and shields and breastplates and helmets. They weren't aimless, shiftless idiots. They were an army on the mission. What happened to them? They were obviously in the midst of a conflict and they lost the fight. I'm going to ask you today, and maybe you're here right now, maybe you're feeling this way right now, but have you ever lost your will to fight? The pressure just got so intense. 
the criticism so sharp, the enemy so strong, that you were so tired, tired to take another step, and you just lost your will to fight. I guarantee you, any serious follower of Jesus has been there. But Ezekiel, he's taken to this place of conflict where the dry bones lay and God asked him this tough question that he's asking you and me right now, right where we are at. He asked him, do you believe that these dry bones can live? Do you believe? And Ezekiel is honest. <laughs> Only you know, Lord. I, I don't know. I don't, I, I'm looking at, I'm, I'm standing in the midst of an army of dry bones. I, I, I mean, they're... <laughs> I think the reason, I mean, it says they're dry because God wants us to get the point. This, I mean, this didn't happen recently. I mean, this thing was dead. They were gone. They were long gone. These were dry bones. I don't know, Lord. So God told him, I want you to prophesy over these dry bones. And here's something I want you to understand, that when God tells Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones, preach to these bones, he obeys. He obeys it. And so he, and I wanted you to understand this morning that obedience is greater than sacrifice. Obedience is greater than sacrifice. So he obeys and he doesn't just call them bones. Remember, he calls them dry bones. And as he prophesied, the word that the Lord gave him over these dry bones, he began to hear a rattle. And, and bone began to come up against bone, and tendons began to grow on these bones, and flesh began to emerge. And next thing you know, there were bodies lying there before him. But they had no breath in them. I don't know about you, but sometimes I've, I've been with folks who have served the Lord for a long, long time, but they've forgotten why they exist. It's as if there's no breath in them. <laughs> they can't see it. They can't help it. I, <sighs> we need to hear a rattling of the bones, church. Amen? And, and here's the thing, when Ezekiel saw this, and he saw this group of people there lying before him, they were looked good, but there was no breath in him, God immediately took charge again, and he said, I want you to also preach over these bodies now. And I want you to call on the four winds. I want to ask you to have the breath of God, my breath, enter into these people. And when he did... God restored what the enemy had taken and suddenly a vast army was standing in their midst and it had to be an amazing sight. I mean, in my mind, and please just take this from me, you can crucify me on that, I don't care. But here's the thing, in my mind, it's not in the Bible, but in the Matthew Delft version, I just see these guys with you know, just large, just large muscles with their swords drawn, beating their chest. Wherefore you, God, we are ready to go once again. 
let me tell you something. I believe that we are standing in the midst of dry bones. All those stats that I gave you, just images of dry bones. Some of you right now are in marriages that are so dry that you're wondering if there's any hope. Some of you are standing over children and grandchildren who are so dry and lifeless spiritually that all you can do is just cry. But I want to tell you that we serve the God that gives life to dry places that we encounter every day. He's doing it right now. We need to enter in, rise up as an army, amen? The word of God, excuse me, a word from God is the first step to seeing life in dry places. You might want to write that down. A word from God is the first step to seeing life in dry places. A belief cannot be based on your feelings. I feel like this church isn't going to go anywhere. I, I feel like, you know, America is just completely in trouble. I, I feel like there's just nothing I can do. I don't care how you feel. I serve a God that rises above my feelings, and he deals in things that are in, infinitely greater than I can ever imagine. Amen? But when you get a word from God, have you, you've been there. Guys, know. I mean, when you get a word from God, you will do whatever it takes. You will go where you were told to go. You will give when you were told to give. You will sacrifice when you know that you've heard a word from God. I never dreamed I would be here in Woodland Park, Colorado, not in a million years. But God said to my heart, go. And I obeyed. And God has laid each sermon on my heart as I have come here and I have been obedient. And I may look and I may sound silly as I prophesy in the midst of a city and a state and a country where it looks like the best days are behind us. But I don't care. I will preach in the midst of the dry situation and I stand on the word that God has given me. And I believe that our God can restore what the enemy has taken. Do you, church? Amen. Amen. Ezekiel prophesied to things that he didn't even think could hear. I mean, imagine just standing there in the midst of, of a place where it's just dry bones. God's saying, talk to them. And you're thinking, what are you talking about, God? They, they can't, they aren't hearing. These are just dead, dry bones. They can't hear me. But Ezekiel obeyed. He prophesied the things he didn't even think could hear. And God's power is revealed in our obedience. I want you to know, you might want to write that one down too. God's power is revealed in our obedience. We see it right here in what Ezekiel is telling us. And today, as I stand before you, I want you to know I am not just preaching to you. I'm preaching to dry, dusty places, places beyond this building. I'm prophesying over places beyond this building that I know probably can't even hear my voice right now, but God is already on the move and he is working.
I preach right now a word of God over our community. And I say to the city above the clouds, I believe we're going to become a city on a hill. You know what I'm talking about if you're familiar with Jesus and his words. A light, a beacon of God's goodness, of what he can do when God's people obey his great command and obey the great commission and remember why they exist to begin with. Some may think I'm foolish. Some may think that thought is even foolish, but I'm not here to convince you to agree with me or like me. I'm here to obey my heavenly Father because when I die and I stand face to face with God the Father, he is not going to ask me, hey, Matt, did they like you? (laughs) He's not going to ask me, hey, did they agree with you? Did they approve of you, Matt? God's going to ask me, Did you do what I told you to do? And I want to be able to look him in the eye and say, yes, Lord. And I want to hear those words from him. Well done. Ezekiel, he said in this portion of scripture, I prophesied as I was commanded to do. He wasn't sure what was going to happen, but he obeyed. But in order for them to get back their fight, he prophesied, and there was a rattle of the bones. And it may seem that the church has gone dry, become hopeless here in our country, but I stand in the midst of dry bones asking God, move upon us and bring things back together. I'm believing that right now I am standing in the middle of a great army of the Lord. Just a few years ago, I was called up to a town called Gainesville, Florida, to restart a dead church. It was a beautiful campus. There were only a handful of people, two large buildings. This church had been the mother church of the district. I, I mean, it was just amazing, all the stuff that they had. The youngest person that was there on my first Sunday, about 20 people that were meeting in this very large building that could easily hold three to 400 people. Uh, in that group, the youngest was in their mid-60s. The oldest was 99. And he was a great saint, by the way. But the life was gone. One generation never passed the baton onto the other generation. I was told by this group that when they were 65, that their parents had died. Almost every one of their parents had died in this group. And, And they said, we were 65 years old, and we didn't know how to take care of the church. No one taught us. Our parents did it all the time. We just looked to our moms and dads. They were well into their 80s, and they were still doing everything. They did not pass the baton off to their children. And now their children are 65 years old and, 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 and maybe a little older. And guess what? Since the baton had never been passed to them, now that they're in an age where they should have already been passing the baton on to their kids, they couldn't. And so their kids were no longer there at the church. And their grandkids... Some of them struggled because they said, I don't even know if they know the basic stories of Jesus. Here we were in this large, beautiful building. 
20 of us. It sat between the University of Florida with 65,000 kids and Santa Fe College with 15,000 kids. And Jackie and I began to work with them. And the church began to grow. Kids were coming from the university. But the original core, they were just so tired and beaten down. They just didn't believe it could happen. Any change was met with resistance. And one older lady as we were having a meeting, I'll never forget, she raised her voice at me in the midst of the change, and she says words that I will never forget. She said, why won't you just let us die with our stuff, and then you can do whatever you want? That shocked me. And this was a wonderful individual, by the way. It wasn't like some evil person. The enemy had taken the fight. They struggled and they changed their mind. They didn't want to restart again and renew. The fight was taken to the district and then to the upper levels of our hierarchy. And Jackie and I were just trying to tend to this little spark that we had just witnessed, the spirit ignite. We were running around 75 to 100 at times. And this was just in a span of just a matter of months. We were thanking God, but in the midst of it, the enemy was fighting. And even with the spirit igniting a little spark, church, if we don't believe and if we don't act on the mission that God has given us, if we don't obey, we will grieve the spirits. First Thessalonians 5.19, it tells us this. It tells us, do not quench the spirits. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good and reject the evil. I'm begging you, test this word. Test it. God wants Woodland Life Center to make disciples. Test it, church. Amen? If there were only one lost soul on planet Earth, God would be seeking to save that lost one. In the midst of, all, of it all, I got a letter as as things crumbled there at Gainesville, and, and there were powers that were higher and larger and much stronger than me that just said, you know what, it's not worth it. And so I sat in this large, beautiful conference room with men of high position and great power and women as well. And I sat there in the midst of all of that, and I pulled out a letter that had been written to me. And in this letter, there was a young girl that came from the University of Florida, and I will just, just condense it to say that it just, you know, just bring back the point to say, Pastor, she said to me, I want you to know that I'm so thankful for you to come in here. And since you have been here, there has been a fire lit in me that I didn't know could ever be lit. She went on to say that when you challenged us as college kids, to start a new church, she said, I felt like I finally had a faith that was my own. And she said, I have never been so excited about moving forward with Jesus Christ in my entire life. I knew about God, but I never had given my heart. She said, I have given my heart to the Lord. And I'm, I was so looking forward to this new process of renewing a church together. 
And I read that letter, and I'm weeping. I mean, I am, I'm almost uncontrollably weeping because I said, you know what? Here is one who came to know the Lord already from this church. And you look in the statistics, and it's been zero, 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 zero for years. We're doing the right thing. Why wouldn't you think the enemy would be against it? Every eye in that room was looking down would not look at me. But I was there in the midst of it all saying, this is why we exist. This is why we, this person, this individual is why we exist, church. In the midst of the fighting, I shared, I wept, and with trite words like, this is for the best, a battle was lost. I swore to myself, not again. Not again. And as I left there, and I didn't know where we were going, I had no clue. I mean, they gave me severance and all that stuff, and that was very kind. And I, I had no clue where we were going to go. I said, God, why? Why did you take me clear across the country over there to just have this happen? But I'm telling you something. Not only was a light and a fire lit in the lives of those young people at the University of Florida, but a light and a fire was lit in me. And I went to the next place, and I'm telling you what, we saw amazing growth. Not again, folks. I believe that we can see our God restore what the enemy has taken. I don't know about you, but I'm willing to fight for my kids. I'm willing to fight for my grandkids. I'm, they are not even here yet. I'm preaching to little ears that don't even know that they are going to be hearing it already. But I believe, church, in the church that will rise up so that a generation, a new generation, can take hold and get the fire lit in their hearts. Oh. I have my staff. They're going to help me with an exercise right now. I want you to remain seated. And as my staff just begins to mingle around they're going to give some of you a little card go ahead you guys can get started they're going to give you a, a card and they maybe say a couple words to you individually when you look at this card and and for those of you who don't ha get it you're you're going to have an opportunity to get one too later but it, on this card you're going to see a greek term it's says oikos. Oikos is Greek for the term household. And this oikos paradigm is this, that each one of us have an extended household. Our oikos, they might be our family, it might be the people you work with, it might be people you go to school with. There are a group of people, probably eight or more, with whom you share life. I would like you to take that bookmark and write it, the names of those people that God has placed in your life who need Jesus on that bookmark. Put it in your Bible. Put it with your tablet, whatever you use as your spiritual devotional time. Put it together with that so that every time that you go back to the Word, you see these names. And you may say, well, what do, we, what do we do beyond that? Well, here's what you're going to do. You're going to, uh, you're going to list. You're going to pray. You're going to invest. 
you're going to invite, and you're going to prepare. And, and, and it signifies this, that you are going to be intentional about loving people for Jesus around you. Okay, you guys can stop now. You guys can stop. But right now, if you received a card and you heard that Jesus loves you, excuse me, I would like to ask you just to stand. If you have that card and you heard the words, Jesus loves you, would you please stand? I'm going to ask you who are standing to come over here. Is social distance is best? Yep, start walking. We're going to come over here. Social distance as best you can and just stand over on this side of the, the church. Just kind of mingle. And then the ones of you who did not receive a card, who did not hear those words, Jesus loves me and Jesus loves you, I want you to come over here. If you are able, if you are able to get up and walk, um, if you would come over here, just stand over here. I want you guys to take a look at each other. Just take a look. You, take a good, long look over here. You guys over here, take a good, long look over here. I know you have masks on, but you know a lot of the people who are over here and over here as well. You have heard that Jesus loves you. And so that signifies in this exercise that you've accepted the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You have not. You are in heaven. You are in hell. And my staff is in purgatory. We don't believe that. We do not believe that. And Barbara, but we don't believe that. <laughs> but here's the deal. I want you to take a long, hard look. You who are over here in heaven... Do you see anybody over there that you care about? Do you see anybody over there that you would even say, I love? What does it do to your heart as you begin to look over there and see people that you love and that you care about and you say, they're in hell. They're in hell. And then I look at you guys over here and I think, I mean, you've got to be wondering, why? How did I end up over here? How did this happen? What, 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 why didn't they tell me that Jesus loves me? I just want to ask one person from this group. God's laid it on somebody's heart. What are you feeling right now? Yes. You can't stop crying. One person from over here, one person, tell me, what are you thinking right now? You be real. One person, what are you feeling? Grief. Grief. You guys can come back and you can sit down in where you, the spots where you were before. But I want to tell you guys, I want to tell you, that there's a reason why I have been preaching in the direction that I have been preaching because I don't want to see this happen.
We're going to close with this. I'd like to ask the band to come forward and start playing behind me, but we're going to close with this. 59 years ago, a man stood before a team, and this team was a team of professionals. It was a preseason time. The man's name was Vince Lombardi, and his team was the Green Bay Packers. The previous year, they had just barely lost the national championship. And he stands before these well-seasoned veterans, guys that had been, all they knew was football for years and years. And he had something very familiar to them in his hand. And he said to them something that they just kind of laughed at. This is a football, gentlemen. And what he was trying to do was say, I'm starting from the basics. We're going to start with the fundamentals. You thought you knew block and tackle, but you don't really know it. You thought you knew what this was all about, but you don't really know it. And he began to point out things, and he would say, see that? That's the end zone. That's our goal. And I want to tell you today that as your pastor, I'm going to tell you that this is our mission. It's to love God, to love each other, and to make disciples. This is our mission football so to speak and the goal is this to see people to see your family to see your friends to see the people you work with come to know jesus christ i am crazy and foolish enough to believe that our god can restore what the enemy has stolen will you fight with me church will you fight with me church there's a there's a group of people right here today that have said, you know what, I'm going to be a part of a prayer team. And it's not because they're the only people that can pray. But, I, I mean, these folks, I, 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 they didn't even know what they were getting into when I asked them. Kathy's probably thinking now, she's Kathy Myers, and she's probably thinking, oh, my goodness, what have I done? she's in charge and she's doing a great job already we already had a meeting but here's the thing is we have a group of people already right now praying over this church and over this city and over our leaders and over our staff watching our backs as we fight i want you to know i wouldn't ask you to do something if i hadn't begun to lay the groundwork for people to be watching your back you understand today you may have a name you may have a son you may have a daughter, you may have a grandchild, you may have a granddaughter, you may have a friend who you have been so close to for so many years that you could tell anything to, but you can't share your faith with him for some reason. Today's the day to say, I believe that we serve a God that can restore what the enemy has stolen. I will fight. As long as you let me fight with you, I will fight with you. I have nothing to lose. If I die tomorrow, which could very well happen, I will go in and slide. But I will fight with you. Will you fight with me? If you would stand with me, Maybe today, as you think of those names, God has already placed on your heart, you need to go down there. 
you need to pray. We have chairs on the end for people who may say, you know, I just, my knees are not up the, to, the, to the altar. That's fine. We have chairs over here on each end of the altars. You can come up. You can pray there. But I am going to begin this day by fighting on my knees. And I want you to know, church, I've already been fighting for you. You don't know it. That's fine. But I've already been fighting for you. Will you fight with me?
There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. No shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. a small insignificant thing right now but write those names down and invest in them pray for them you want to know a little bit more about what has happened through oikos go to the salvation army's website in australia look at the australia website see how god has used the oikos ministry there also look at a church in victorville california the apple valley area and with its pastor the name of tom mercer how god has just seen by people just being intentional about loving others for Jesus. We can do that together. I am so thankful for you, church. So thankful. Today, thank you. Thank you. We, today, as you guys go, if you're new here today, I'd like to have an opportunity just to say hello to you, just to, just to get to know your name. That's important to me to get to know you. And, uh, and so I'm going to be standing over here and our associate pastor, Greg, will be with me. He's going to be standing over there with me. If you want to come over and just say hello, I would love to meet you. But right now, let's just close with this benediction. Lord, we just pray, God. I pray right now upon this church. Make us great agents of change in this community for you, God. Give us courage. Strengthen our weary bones. Strengthen our arms and our legs and gird us, Lord, with power from on high so that we may see, God, your kingdom continue to grow. We pray this in Jesus' name, and together we say amen, amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.
and the grace and love of our Lord. If you're new today, I want to meet you over here.